and welcome to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter Podcast, where we discuss different but likely scenarios, provide general legal information, and get to know our lawyers. Please note that this podcast series does not provide or intends to provide legal advice. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Legal Chatter. My name's Courtney and I'm here with Hongi. Today we'll be talking to you about defamation. Welcome Hongi. Hello Courtney, how are you today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to discuss defamation with us. So I suppose as a bit of an overview, um, what is defamation generally? So, um, defamation in Queensland is um, a claim a person can make, um, even a not-for-profit corporation can make it, or a small business um, with less than 10 people. Um, it's a claim um, made by a person when a defamatory or a corporation, a small corporation or not-for-profit company can make if a defamatory matter is published by another person. Um, and the uh, when determining whether the matter is defamatory, um, it's, it's, it's usually got to do with... Um, uh, imputations that would harm a person's reputation, um, whether that be um, whether they experienced undesirable behaviour of others towards them, or whether they've been shunned, ridiculed, or hated because of the matter published, um, and it's um, uh, by uh, by law there's a limitation period for defamation of up to one year from the date of publication. Okay, so in terms of proving defamation, um, are there certain elements that have to be covered? So, first element, the imputation has to have been defamatory. Um, It's a question of fact, as I've mentioned before, uh, determined by a court, um, which considers a number of judicial principles. Um, The most common principle being whether the, the whether reasonable members of the community um, either seeing, reading or hearing the matter will likely um, uh, lead to a lowering of the relevant person's um, reputation, um, lead others to think less of them, um, make others shun or avoid them or cause others to ridicule or hate or despise them. Um, the second thing is that the second element is that there has to have been a publication. So the method of publication is very broad, um, and the method doesn't apply only to publications to a large group of people, such as via books, newspapers, or posts on social media. It can also include spoken words, um, emails, tweets, or text messages, something a little more personal, um, even photographs, cartoons, or other images, and surprisingly, even gestures. The publication to um, one individual even can, can still be considered defamatory, but that might be troubling when, when you're claiming damages, um, because when quantifying a loss for defamation for publication, um, the courts will seek to award damages that are uh, in proportion to the, to, the harm that, to, to the harm that was caused to the plaintiff's rep, uh, uh, reputation. So essentially, the more reputational harm done to a larger array of people, the more damages. So we've gone through elements one and two. So an imputation has to be defamatory and it has to be published. Um, is there anything else that plaintiffs would need to prove? They have to prove um, identification might sometimes be a bit tricky and, and contentious um, to claim uh, 
essentially asking the question whether it was a requirement of um, whether it is an acquire, a requirement to actually identify the individual um, and whether, whether they're named. There's no real test to determining whether something's defamatory. The, the courts often ask uh, whether in view of reasonable members of the community, again, um, either seeing, hearing or reading the matter will lead to um, reputational harm of that relevant person or, or think less of them, shun them or ridicule, hate or despise them. And, and depending on the context of how it's communicated, um, it might be possible to accidentally defame another person as well. Um, and even if um, that person is not named or if the work uh, is fiction or sarcastic, um, a cause of action for defamation might actually still arise if that person can reason reasonably be inferred to be that specific person. Another thing is, you know, the, the, the person communicating the matter doesn't need to intend any harm to be done to another person. Um, the, the court looks at what was actually communicated and how a reasonable member of the community uh, would interpret the meaning of that com communication. So it's not really about what you intended. It's about the effect of what that what that matter published was um, in, in the courts assessing whether whether something is going to be properly identified towards a specific person or not. That's a very significant point, is it, isn't it, Hongi? Particularly in current circumstances with the rise of Facebook and Twitter and um, other social media platforms, um, where if you essentially, even if you don't intend it, you could still be liable um, for defamation. So we've gone through the elements of defamation. Um, now, what would you say to those people who have been accused of defamation? I suppose, how do they defend themselves in such circumstances? Um, so there are a number of defenses, um, unsurprisingly, um, for, for, for a claim for defamation. Um, so, you know, and, 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 and you should think about um, these defenses even before you make any claim for defamation in reverse. Um, and so prior to making a defamation claim, um, you should uh, think about um, a number of defenses that are available um, both in the Defamation Act of Queensland and at common law as well. Um, and they include justification, contextual truth, uh, absolute privilege, um, public documents, fair report of proceedings of public concern, qualified privilege, honest opinion, and um, innocent uh, dissemination. So, um, I mean, the word, the, the defenses are sort of self-explanatory, um, but but some some of them are more interesting than others. Um, and if, 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 a, if a defense is successfully made out, the publisher will not be required by the court to apologize or pay damages or even remove the matter. So it's, it's, it's something that you, you should very carefully think about before you make any claim for, dam um, for, for defamation. Um, so just going back to that one, Hongi, and an interesting defense that you did mention was that of the defense of truth. This seems like a very fine line. Um, so in terms of kind of elucidating that defense, what type of statement would constitute the defense of truth? So um, you've rightly pointed out, Courtney, that it is um, probably a little more of an interesting defense um, and, and, and one that's raised quite commonly. Um, and it, it is more interesting 
particularly because truth can sometimes feel quite subjective. Mm. Um, so it's it's. I think the proper coining is context. The defense of contextual truth. Um, it's in section twenty six of the Defamation Act, um, and it applies where there's a publication which has a number of defamatory imputations. Um, some of which are true and some are not, but the untruthful imputations um, have to be proven uh, not to do any further harm to the reputation of the defamed person um, than the true imputations would. Uh, so the bar is that the truth has to be found to have been sub- subst- substantively truth um, on the balance of probabilities, which means that um, you essentially have to convince the court with the evidence you have that your imputations were substantively true, although it may not have been entirely true. Uh, so the the you know you, you have to understand um, in in making a claim for defamation that um, just because you're not really happy with something that was said about you doesn't mean you have um, a claim for defamation. They might have um, you know defenses that sort of buttress that claim. Um, and, and, and you also have to bear in mind that the defences are designed to ensure that defamation suits don't put unreasonable limits on freedom of expression. Um, over in America, they call it freedom of speech, but here in, here in Australia, we call it freedom of expression. Um, uh, defamation law, so, uh, so defamation laws um, aim to balance this freedom of expression. Um, with with alongside the protection of people's reputations, which is really the um, point of defamation law. So, um, you know, it's important to remember that um, it's a law in place which um, seeks to protect people's reputations by precluding certain matters of speech, um, but it doesn't. Um, it by no means is it a law that 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 tries to shut people up or compel speech by asking people to say things they don't want to um, in any way. Yeah, so certainly a balancing act based on what you've told us. So if someone was considering um, commencing a defamation claim having regard to um, the aforementioned factors, in terms of costs, what are some things that they need to know? So when the court considers how costs should be awarded, the the factors which the courts um, consider doesn't differ too much from other types of cause of actions the court may consider in awarding costs, um, essentially meaning um, it's it's going to be the court's discretion and they'll largely depend on how each parties have conducted their litigation, how reasonable they've been in litigation. So what sort of offers were exchanged or proposed and things like that. Um, but one thing uh, that probably sets defamation proceedings apart is that the Defamation Act actually specifically states that the court um, should include as one of the factors uh, the, the, in assessing costs is whether there was any misuse of a party's superior financial position to hinder the early resolution of proceedings. And um, we, do, we do sometimes coin uh, defamation proceedings in our industry as luxury litigation, quote-unquote luxury litigation, um, because, because it is often the wealthy, famous, and resourceful um, that instigate defamation defamation proceedings. And uh, as you've mentioned before, Courtney, it's perhaps also to do with the fact that a lot of people um, who, who, who rely on their reputation a lot tend to, tend to get scathed a lot by the media and, and by, by other sort of people as well. 
um, in public. So it, it, it can often be, but but in any case, it can it can often be the case that the affluent sometimes abuse the court system to essentially shut the less affluent up. I guess this the the legislation sort of takes account of that um, when they consider defamation proceedings. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, isn't it? Um, and it's certainly good that that act does address that potential abuse of power. So I suppose my next question is, are there any other considerations that need to be taken into account? I know one that comes to mind is the implications of COVID-19 and perhaps the increased time that individuals are spending, for example, on social media. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we've seen a bit of an uptick here in defamation inquiries. I think that might have at least some to do with the fact that people are spending a little more time at home um, and have a lot of you know time to spend online and perhaps saying certain things that they might not mean out of boredom. Um, but um, I think that's the point of this podcast as well to say you should be very careful about the remarks you make. Uh, about certain people um but you should also be very careful about you should you should you know you should also be very careful about you know judging too quickly whether something is actually defamatory by law or not um because it's it's actually it's not a it's not an easy sort of hurdle to go over um when you consider the elements for for defamation um um but yeah i think i think that's certainly one um consideration so putting all these elements together and the defences and all these various considerations, do you have a, a case example that we can have a look at to put all this theory essentially into practice? Yeah, um, actually quite interestingly, um, in my sort of professional circle in, in LinkedIn, there was a case going around between some of us about of, of, of a recent judgment handed down from the New South Wales District Court actually um, for defamation and as I've said before it's quite broad in its scope of what can be considered defamatory publication Um, you know as I've mentioned before even things like gestures can be and we've got a landmark case now um, where an emoji was held to be defamatory there's this case law that was handed down that sort of set in stone that words images or hieroglyphics can can be held to be uh, defamatory so interestingly enough there was a case law that 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 held certain emojis to be to be considered defamatory it was uh, it was quite a interesting inter- interesting read so what was the tweeting question um, so there was a tweet made by a lawyer I'm not a Twitter user myself, so I don't exactly know how these things work, but um, a lawyer tweeted a link to a newspaper article about a judge who allegedly referred another lawyer for for uh, possible disciplinary action um, in circumstances where it was claimed that the judge made scathing remarks about the lawyer's competency. Um, and a number of people liked and retweeted and commented on that original tweet um, by, by that lawyer. Um, and... A number of um, people, so a number of people replied to the original tweet, um, and they included things like, um, I think it was the zipper mouth face. Um, I think some of them were uh, faced with tears. Um, you know, uh, the the big star collision emoji, um, joy, tears of joy, and and ghost. 
um, face of clock. So it was it was it wasn't just one sort of it wasn't one emoji. It was a number of emojis. Interestingly, the court um, said they didn't need expert evidence to work out what the emojis meant, and this was perhaps facilitated by neither party suggesting that expert evidence was required. Um, but that was that was particularly interesting. The court found that the words and emojis in the comments and replies were capable of conveying um, defamatory imputations. Um, and an ordinary reasonable reader of tweets will derive the meaning of the imputation from the circumstances surrounding the tweet. And the court said uh, this was a case of quote-unquote joining the dots on social media between the emojis and surrounding context which included links to articles about the misconduct. So I think the thing to catch here is that, the, yes, the courts will definitely take into account the context of what's being published, um, and it won't just take what the interpre- interpretation would be on face value of the material that's published. So um, context is very important with any defamatory um, proceedings because you know even even what we spoke about about um, contextual truths if we want to prove the truth of it on the balance of pr- probabilities we have to prove that the stuff was true in its context so and and that same thing applies here whether it's a emoji or a gesture or a drawing so that's a that's an interesting case that was handed down quite recently yeah, and it certainly highlights the broad-ranging application of the defamation legislation and common law in Queensland. Hongi, thank you for your time today. It has certainly been very informative. Um, we know you're a busy man, so really appreciate your time. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And please don't forget to tune in to our next episode of Legal Chatter. Thank you for listening to the Corny and Lind Legal Chatter podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode of Corny and Lind Legal Chatter. If you require specific legal advice for your situation, contact us directly on 0732520011 or go to www.cornyandlind.com.au forward slash contact.